We're going to turn again this evening to Galatians chapter 5 and read of the deeds of the flesh in contrast with the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, picking up at verse 19, and we'll read down through verse 23. So please follow in your own Bibles the Word of God as He speaks to us in words that scratch where we itch. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit... And you will not carry out the de desire of the flesh. This is verse 16. Verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, let's pray and ask that God would again make his word mighty in our hearts, that as the word is proclaimed, the spirit would work and produce all the more in us these flavors of this fruit. That each member, each true Christian, hearing my voice, whether in this room or watching online, wherever, that God would work these graces in our lives. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we draw near to your throne of grace this evening, we desire to worship in the Spirit to have no confidence in the flesh, to glory in Christ Jesus. But again, we have no confidence in our own flesh. But we have confidence in you and in your spirit that that which we cannot do, you can do. That you can take weak, sinful, saved sinners with remaining sin and produce in us all the more these graces which are the fruit of your Spirit's work. So come, use your word this evening. Work in us, especially this ninth aspect of the Spirit's fruit, self-control. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When we talk of self-control, I believe it's obvious as we read news reports and look around us in just the world that we observe that this is a grace that's in very short supply in the world at large. Only this week I saw a report of an airline flight that was diverted because two women were having a brawl on the flight. Two women going at each other. And the 
flight attendants couldn't stop the brawl and they had to divert the flight in order to deal with these two women. Uh, Self-control, where's that? I saw another report of politicians uh, going at each other and this was in Eastern Europe, but they were having a brawl right there in this parliament meeting, attacking, fighting, self-control. What's that? <laughs> Without self-control, what do we have? Well, we have just what we read there in the deeds of the flesh, immorality. Yeah, that's a lack of self-control, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Yeah, you see, the anger is not controlled. Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunken, drunkenness. That's a lack of self-control. Carousing and things like these, etc., etc., etc. And in 2 Timothy, we have this statement of the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Well, when is that? Well, if you're not a student of the last days, let me explain to you. The last days is any time in between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And we're in the last days, by definition. In the last days... Difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips. And listen to this, without self-control. Brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness. Oh, they may be very religious, but still without self-control. Although they have denied, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power and avoid such men as these. Again, these men were there. It was already the last days uh, because those people were already in the world when Paul wrote these words. Self-control, without self-control. That's the world around us. That's the society in which we live. And so it's vital for us that we stand out in the crowd, that we manifest this fruit, this flavor of self-control. What is it? We're going to follow our standard outline here as we come to this ninth aspect, this ninth flavor of the Spirit's fruit. What is self-control? Where does it come from or how do we get it? Thirdly, what hinders us from having self-control? Where do we fail? And then lastly, what does it mean for us? How, how should we do this today? What does it mean for us today? So first of all, then, what is self-control? Now, just again, we'll look at some preliminary definitions and then at some scriptures before we formulate our definition. So first of all, the Greek word is defined this way. Uh, self-control, that is, continence, temperance, the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. That was Thayer's Greek lexicon. And you look up self-control in your English dictionaries and you come up with similar things. Merriam-Webster dictionary states it this way. Restraint exercised over one's impulses, emotions, or desires. Restraint exercised. 
Hendrickson, in his commentary, puts it this way, possessing the power to keep oneself in check, to rein yourself in, to have control over yourself. Lenski, very similar, holding all our desires and passions in check, uses that same phrase, in check, that is in control, uh, restrained desires and passion. So concluding this preliminary uh, investigation of the meaning of the words, it's the ability that the Spirit works in God's people to resist the deeds of the flesh. That's why I went back and read that again. To resist the deeds of the flesh, the lusts and desires thereof. We read verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus. So we didn't read verse 24. Let me go ahead and read 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They're crucified, they're put to death, they're restrained to that degree. Passions and desires put to death. Now, is there an example that we can look to in God himself? One of the commentaries, or the one author I read who was writing about the fruit of the Spirit, stated this, that the Spirit's fruit is not an attribute of God in this case of self-control. God doesn't have any sinful desires to control. And to that degree, I think he's right. There are no evil lusts to resist. Uh, yes, but in another sense, God in his perfection controls perfectly all his attributes in balance one with another. And his attributes, remember, include wrath against sin. We just were dealing with that with the, uh, you might call it genocide, of those nations which God exterminated through his people because they were sinful. This was not lack of self-control. God didn't blow it and lose it. So I'm going to wipe you out. This was perfectly controlled. His wrath is under control. Think of Uzzah, who touched the ark as it was carried on that ox cart against God's law. It should have been carried on poles. Uzzah reached out to balance it because as the ox cart went over a rut, it was in danger of falling off. And you remember, it's called there a... God's wrath broke out against Uzzah. But that was perfectly controlled outbreak. It was not like us when we say, I lost it. God didn't lose it. It was perfectly controlled response to the sin of Uzzah as he touched the ark because it was not being carried in the prescribed fashion. This is related, you see, to the regulative principle. We worship God according to his will, according to his law, according to his prescription. They did not. And it cost Uzzah his life. But that was perfectly controlled. God's emotions, if you want to call them that, without parts or passions, this, the uh, confession says, but the Bible does speak of God's wrath. And anger. It does speak about his love. His love, again, is perfectly controlled. It is not this gushy sentimentality that some parents say, oh, I love my child too much to spank him. That's not love. That's not God's way of love. God's way of love 
disciplines in perfect control those whom he loves. And so God's example is of perfect control in all of his attributes. Just for an example, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, with regard to the second coming, do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, Peter writes, 2 Peter 3, 8, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. That will be a perfectly controlled burn. And God is patiently waiting for that day. But that day will come in God's perfectly controlled timing. And so, to say that God does not manifest self-control, I, I think in one way, yes, because he doesn't have lust or passions uh, to control in that sense. But he does manifest, as a perfection, the control of all his attributes in a perfect way. So, we ought to be like God in that. Our conclusion is we're still to imitate him perfectly under control all our emotions and all of our decisions were to be perfectly principled in all that we do you say impossible yeah in this world the flesh lusts against the spirit the spirit against the flesh we went back and read that so that we're not able to do the things that we desire but still that is our goal the fruit of the spirit is self control. Now let's think of some biblical examples of this so that we can uh, inform our understanding of this word self-control. In the Greek it's one word. Think of Joseph with Mrs. Potiphar. In Genesis chapter 39 we encounter that story familiar to most of us here perhaps. And so remember that Joseph was sold as a slave into Egypt and while he, when he was sold into slavery there, he became the property of this man Potiphar, who was the captain of uh, Pharaoh's guard. And so uh, it says here, let me read from Genesis 39, 6 through 9. So he, that is Potiphar, left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. I just have to come and sit down and eat. What a life. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. There's no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? This is self-control. Here is a temptation. Here is this powerful woman, the wife of his master, enticing him. Come lie with me. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's in the house today. 
We can get away with it. Joseph says two things. How could I sin against my master this way? He's entrusted everything to me. It would be a great sin against my master. But even more, even if he doesn't ever know, God will know. How can I do this great evil and sin against my God? Now, this is before Christ came. This is before the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And yet, Joseph manifests this fruit of God's work in his life. How can I sin against my God this way? We have a bad example of lack of self-control in a very similar temptation. David with Bathsheba. And you know the story, and I'll just read a few verses of this story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. 2 Samuel 11, 2 through 4. Now, when evening came, David arose from his bed. What? Evening? Taking a nap. And walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David exercised self-control. Sadly, that's not what we read. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. Lack of self-control in one who was a man after God's own heart. Can it happen to you? Can you fail to exercise self-control even with the Spirit? Sadly, it can happen to you. That is why self-control is something we need to exercise. We need to pray. We need to seek that God would grant us more and more of this fruit of the Spirit. And what was the price he paid? Sin has consequences. David was forgiven. Yes, David did repent ultimately when Nathan the prophet came to him. He said, well, I can always repent. Dear young person, sin has consequences. Old person, sin has terrible consequences. David paid for that the rest of his life with the misery that came into his family. Amnon. Absalom, sin, grief, misery, pain, self-control is necessary. Paul, in his labors, another example, Paul speaks of his labors in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 to 27. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Now, you, brethren here, sisters, maybe you never ran a track meet in your life. We do have some TCS track stars here. You know what Paul's talking about perhaps better than I do. I never ran a track meet. But I know this. If you're going to run and win, You've got to exercise self-control. That's what Paul says. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. Because you see the prizes they got were these woven wreaths. Stephanos. Perishable. But 
we an imperishable wreath. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I preach to others. Here's a word that should ring in the hearts of all preachers. Lest having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. I exercise self-control. Now, the, the runner... You know, he, if, if he doesn't exercise self-control, he or she, you know, just let yourself go, you eat whatever you want. You're not going to win the race. I want to skip practice. I don't feel like running today. I don't feel like running that mile or that two miles or that five miles. I just want to slack off. I'm, I'm tired of it. You're not going to win the race. You have to exercise self-control. We have a better race to run. And we're all runners here. Run so as to win. Exercise self-control. So here's our definition as I try to wrap up what we've seen in the scriptures and even these uh, definitions of words. Self-control is that grace of spirit-created excellence whereby the Christian is enabled, again, by the spirit, to resist his sinful desires and lusts and keep his emotions and actions in control according to the will of God revealed in his word. Now, what I plan to do uh, with the permission of the elders is to take all of these nine definitions that I've come up with in putting together all of these various scriptures and have them printed up and put it on a sheet that will be available on the table next Lord's Day. I know, and I see some nods out there. So uh, they, they're all in favor. So if that's what you would like to have, some have already requested that, it'll be there. But here for tonight, what is self-control? What are you aiming at? What do you want to see in your life? That grace of spirit-created excellence, whereby the Christian is enabled to resist his sinful desires and lusts and keep his emotions and actions in control according to the will of God revealed in his word. So that's what it is. I hope you have an idea what we're aiming at. Now, where do you get it? Where does it come from? Well, obviously, and if this does seem repetitive, pardon me, but it's worth saying again. It comes from the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And to quote the Apostle Paul, to say the same thing again is no trouble for me. He says this in Philippians 3, 1. Uh, Peter says, I consider it right to stir you up by way of reminder. While well, I'm still here in the body. While well, I'm still here, so I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. We get this from the Spirit. It's what he does. He produces in every one of God's people. It's organic, so it's not static. It doesn't just suddenly poof appear and it's all full grown. Yes, it has to grow in our hearts and lives. It is something that, that will begin as that little uh, bud and, and grow and develop. We want to see more in our lives. But every Christian should be manifesting to some degree, in comparison with your prior life, self-control. Yes, you're not yet in glory. Yes, you're not yet what you want to be, what you will one day become. But thank God, you're not what you used to be. Praise God for the fruit of His Spirit in our lives. And so, 
we want to manifest this fruit in terms of controlling, resisting sinful lust, controlling emotions, thoughts, words, and deeds according to God's will. As Paul said in Galatians 6, if you want to look over the page, verses 7 and 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, deeds of the flesh, shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so, dear brethren, this is a fruit. You have to sow to it. You have to seek it to grow, to have God work more and more in it. Now, how do we do that? It's the fruit of the Spirit. And so we just sit back and say, okay, go to work. Here I am. Well, you already know that as God works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure, uh, it's because we're working out our salvation. And so how do we do that? Well, through the word. God's word is powerful, mighty. Do you have confidence in God's word when you read it? You know, you can read a lot of books. And I hope your readers... It's a good thing to be a reader and even to read widely. You can learn a lot from history and so on. But you got one book. It's perfect. And one book which is powerful. It's not just the words, you know, maybe tickle your fancy. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing. As far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, that means it's able to get in there right down into the quick. Able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You want to have your heart searched? You want to find out where you're lacking self-control? where you can find help to get self-control. This book is powerful. Come to God, trusting in him and in his word. Luke 1, 37, no word of God from God shall be void of power. That's the ASV. It's an accurate translation there. Uh, some translations say no word of God is, uh, nothing is impossible with God. Well, that's true. But literally it says no word from God shall be void of power. No word from God. It's not going to return to him void. No word from God is void of power. In other words, it has power. So we come and we open our Bibles day by day and say, Lord, search me, try me. See if there's any hurtful way in me and cleanse me and mold me and shape me by the power of your word. So use the word to work self-control in your life. Use the preached word. It's not just the read word, it's the preached word as well. And we read in 1 Corinthians 1.21, Since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through what? Through preaching. My version translates that through the message preached. But literally, it's through preaching 
to save those who believe. Of course, that's initial salvation. How were you saved? Well, you read the word, maybe. Maybe you read a tract. I remember one time in a, uh, a seminar on evangelism, I asked the question, how many of you were saved in a Christian concert? Well, actually, there was one guy who raised his hand, but it was the message of the music, not, you know, the stirring tune. How many of you were saved through reading a track? And a couple were saved because God used the tract in their lives. How many were saved because some person shared the gospel with you? Many more hands. How many were saved in preaching? Again, a number, quite a number of hands. God is pleased through preaching to save. But you know, it's not just initial salvation. It's that whole process. We are being saved. And so, how are you going to manifest this fruit of salvation in your life more and more? Come to preaching. That's why you're here. I'm glad you're here. Because this is one of the means of grace. Has God used these nine... Well, actually, this is the 11th in the series because we had some introductory ones and a couple on love. Has God been using these in your life? Have you seen growth in these graces? Now, I don't know if it's evident to anybody else, but preaching these sermons has been good for this man. It has worked in my own life to see more at least, again, in my eyesight, limited eyesight, to see more of this fruit. I hope it has been the case with you. That's why we're here. The preached word is one of God's means. Don't neglect. Don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. This is how God works. Now, we had a series some couple of years ago by Pastor Chansky on self-control. So he went into more detail than I'm doing in just one message on this flavor of the fruit. But if you want to have more, you go back, listen to those sermons. They were excellent. Self-control, the preached word. Another means to cultivate this grace in your lives is, of course, prayer. And as Pastor Chansky dealt with the whole armor of God. One of those, in fact, as it has been said, the, um, well, they have the, uh, one of the offensive weapons is the sword of the spiritual. But you know what the other offensive weapon is that's given in that armor, that whole armor? It's prayer. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Pray for one another. Pray for your pastors that will be more self-controlled. Pray for each other. That you will be guarded from outbursts of lack of self-control. Prayer. But I would add to these means of grace the, the specific imitation of our Savior. Now again, he didn't have to uh, resist sinful passions and lusts, but he did manifest self-control. Here we have Romans 13, verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Imitate him and not the world. When the flesh entices you, 
to any outburst, whether it's immorality, whether it's anger, whether it's feeding the flesh in some form, put on the Lord Jesus. How did he act? Did he ever lose it? Even when he manifested anger there in the temple, when there was, or in the synagogue, when there was that man with the withered hand and he's going to heal him and the people are waiting for him, watching if he's going to do something, a miracle. And he looked around them at them with anger. Did he shout? Did he scream? He just looked. And it was evident he was angry at their lack of compassion. But it wasn't an outburst. It was perfectly controlled. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision. And so when you're tempted to some outburst, to some outbreak of lack of self-control, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Augustine, when he had that uh, vision, or he thought he heard a voice saying, tole legate, take and read, what did he turn to? He turned to that verse. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a problem with lust. He had a mistress and he knew it was wrong. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't his ability. It was only Christ who could help him. And he was saved and he was able to deal with his lust. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Another verse that encourages us to imitate Christ in every way, to resist the lust of the flesh, 1 Peter 4, verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter 4. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, right? so suffering, as Christ suffered, not that we're going to go looking for it, but it will come, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, not to go looking for suffering, but to suffer as Christ did, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. That's what we're talking about, self-control. Not living for the lusts of men, but living for the will of God. How do we do it? We follow Christ. As Christ suffered in the flesh, follow him in your suffering, not to lose it, not to blow it, but to suffer in a way that pleases God. And so... If you don't have self-control, any self-control, as you're like what I described, you know, the two ladies fighting on the plane. I never did that. Well, that's good. What else have you done? Well, I was never fighting with my fellow parliamentarians because I was never in parliament. Okay, good on you, as the Aussies say. But what have you done? Do you manifest self-control in the home? with your wife, with your husband. Self-control. You need this. The world needs it. Yeah, I remember that song. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Well, it's not the only thing that there's just too little of. What there is too little of is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, general self-control. The world lacks all of these. Because the world doesn't have the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't have Christ. And if you don't have these, you need Christ. It's not, well, okay, I'm going to try my best. You need Christ. And it's only he, by his Spirit, who can work these things. I remember when I was uh, working as an engineer 
and we were talking about constructing a refinery for this oil company I worked for. And this one man said, oh yeah, we'll just call in a sky hook. A sky hook. You know what those are, right? You just hook it up on the sky and then you can hook your thing up to it and pull it up. Guess what? There's no such thing as a sky hook. He was pulling my leg. And there's no such thing as pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. It doesn't work. Oh, I'm going to improve myself. You can pull yourself up by your bootstraps all you want. You're not going to go anywhere. You need Christ. And so I challenge you, if you're visiting here this evening or, or you're not a Christian yet, just take the Society of Trinity Baptist Church. I challenge you. I'm, I, I'm not afraid at all of this challenge. And you put it in comparison with any worldly society. Now, may it be the Lions Club or the Rotary Club, the nice people who are doing good in the world, trying to do good, or the whatever club it may be, the, the Ladies uh, Bingo Club. You compare the life of the people in that group with what we have here. I'm confident that the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control manifested here will put to shame any other group on the earth. Why? Because it's the Spirit's work. Because it's grace operative in our... Now, we're not perfect. Yeah, I know that. But you see, this is what the Spirit does. And if you don't have the Spirit, you've got the deeds of the flesh. And it's pretty ugly. In the last days, men will be. And it's pretty ugly. You need Christ. You need Christ. What the world needs now is Christ. And I say that in all compassion. You need Christ. The one who died to save sinners who came into this world for that purpose, to take miserable, wretched, ugly sinners and change them. Sons of darkness transformed to children of light. And he can do that for you. Well, what hinders us? Why, do we, why aren't we perfect? Why aren't we perfectly self-controlled? Well, walk by the Spirit. We saw in chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, walk by the Spirit. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. They're in opposition. So basically, you know why you don't perfectly have self-control? It's because of the flesh. <laughs> the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. So in spite of grace, in spite of the help of the Spirit, there are times when the flesh still breaks out and there are times of failure and we're not perfect in this life. Even the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, said, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Paul wasn't perfect. Your pastors aren't perfect. Kids, your parents aren't perfect. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, you do, I'm sure. But that is not an excuse. Well, you know, I couldn't help it. We press on. That's what Paul said. I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He laid hold of me to change me and make me new. So I'm pressing on 
on that track. Now, of course, the world contributes to our failure. The world is a cesspool. There are temptations all around us to lose self-control, to give in, to click that thing. That's all around us. And I, I like it. I, I compare it to walking through a field. I'm sure you've done this. You walk through this field and you've got on your nice clean pants and, and there are all these burrs. You know those plants with little burrs on them? And you think, I'm going to walk through here and, and I'm not going to get one burr on my trousers. Guess what? You get to the other side of the field and they're all over you. Well, that's what it is walking through this sin-cursed world. We think, well, I'm going to keep myself pure. And you fall. Because we're in the midst of the world. The world is an enemy that is seeking to drag us down. The world contributes to our failure. The devil is like a roaring lion. Don't forget him. He's seeking whom he may devour. And he's no trivial foe. How can you survive with the world, the flesh, and the devil against you? 1 John 4, 4. You're from God, little children. And have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Does that mean, oh yeah, look at me, I'm, I'm great stuff. No, he's great. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Yes, that ancient foe. Yes, he's a great foe. But we have Christ. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. But... I can do all things. Does that mean you're going to win the race in the track meet? Does that mean that your team's going to win the basketball game? No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about you can, yes, exercise contentment. Yes, you can overcome sin. I can do all things of a spiritual nature through him who... What does it say? I can do all things through him who... Strengthens me. Yeah, I knew that word. I can do it, not because I'm great. Apart from him, I can do nothing but him, in him. And so you have the spirit. You have Jesus Christ, the Savior. And let me quote from the hymn we sang this morning at the start of our Lord's Day. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him that word above all earthly powers no thanks to them abideth the spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth and so brethren don't give in don't say i'm, I'm hopeless it's helping you know, i just can't i can't do it you can't yeah agreed but christ can so you go back again and again to the means of grace. You go back to prayer. You go back to the word and you go back to the will of God. What's the will of God? Your sanctification. God, this is your will for me. I'm looking to you for help to do this. So yeah, there are enemies. Yes, there's opposition. But we have Christ and his spirit. So what does this mean for us? As we come to this last question what does this mean for us today? And I ask again this question, do you have self-control? Well, are the deeds of the flesh your curriculum vitae, your bio data, your resume? Who are you? Well, described here, the deeds of the flesh, 
immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. That's me. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, corrupt. That's me. Is that you? Do you have self-control? You need Christ. As I said earlier, you need the Spirit. You only get Him by turning from your sin and yourself. I'm going to do better. Yeah, well, I, I, I have a few sins. I, I, yeah, I do that occasionally, but you commit sin is a slave of sin. You need Christ. What are you waiting for? You want to continue in misery one more day? One more night with the frogs? <laughs> Don't do it. Maybe you're a Christian. You need more self-control. Again, applying all diligence, Peter says. You know, one of the words Peter uses is, a, uh, is this word here in 2 Peter chapter 1. For this reason, also applying all diligence, 2 Peter 1, 5. In your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, guess what? self control and in your self-control perseverance and in your perseverance godliness and in your godliness brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our lord jesus christ now I'm not going to expound the text. I must confess, I'm not sure if there's a progression. Well, okay, you start with faith, and then you add to faith knowledge, and then, uh, or excuse me, moral excellence, then you get knowledge. I, I'm not sure if it's a sequence or if it's just saying, all right, you start, you're a believer now. What are you going to do? We well, need all these other things too. Is that hopeless? I mean, I can't do this. Well, wait a minute. Let's go back in Second Peter. What does Peter say right before he describes this whole list of virtues? Verse 4. For this, by these, by his uh, divine power, by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Go back another verse. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So don't say I can't. Don't say I don't have the resources. I, I can't do this self-control thing. He's given you all you need. Apply those means of grace. Now, how does this act? What is it going to look like if you have self-control? Let's get down to the nitty-gritty, all right? Where do you exercise self-control? And I believe Pastor Chansky, if my memory serves me correctly, dealt with a lot of these areas. Do it with food. All right? Your belly. Just say no. There's that second piece of pie. You had one piece of pie. It was very good. There's more pie. Can I have another piece? Well... Some are manifesting what we might call a well-rounded Christianity. Um, very rotund. Self-control is needed. Control that appetite. When that piece of pie is calling your name, take me. 
You just say no. With words, a soft answer turns away wrath. Or no answer. Maybe no answer is the right answer. And to borrow an illustration from Pastor Jack Seaton that I heard when he was here for a pastor's conference years ago, your husband asks you, dear wives, have you seen my electric drill? And everything in you wants to answer sarcastically. Oh yes, I was using it to make holes in the donuts. <laughs> but you control yourself. I'm not going to say it. No, honey, I haven't seen your electric drill. Self-control. With sexual enticement. Men and women. Now, perhaps it's, and I think it's more of a problem for men than for women, but it's a problem for all of us in this sex-crazed world. You need Job's covenant. Remember Job's covenant, Job 31.1? We looked a little at Job earlier. Here's a good thing Job did. Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. You know what a covenant is? It's an oath-sworn promise. All right, eyeballs, listen to me. Listen good. You got this, eyeballs? We are not going to look at women to lust for them. You got that? And the eyeballs say, yes, sir. I swear I'm not going to do it. An oath sworn promise. And the eyeballs swear it. How then could I gaze at a virgin, Job says. Got this covenant. My eyeballs in me. We're going to keep the covenant. Because it's a promise we made before God. And so, what's that? That's self-control with the eyeballs. Self-control over lust. You turn your eyeballs away from temptation. How can I look there? That scantily clad girl jogging by the side of the world of the road in her in her bikini like attire well you know there's always the other side of the road you can look at and not fall into a ditch or the dotted line you don't have to look that side make a covenant how about depressing thoughts you can can you control that Philippians 4.8, you may remember when we preached through Philippians, we came to this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind, it's a good translation, let your mind dwell on these things. What do we do so often? You're not the only one. I know what I'm talking about. Your mind goes down that rut, that muddy, yucky rut. Oh, what happened? Oh, what did he do to me? And what? Oh, woe is me. Exercise self-control. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to think on the excellent things. What has God done for me and had compassion on me? <sighs> yeah, count your many blessings, as the song goes. Name them one by one. With time, exercise self-control. Are you doing good? Remember that fruit of the Spirit, that aspect of the Spirit's fruit, goodness. Are you doing good with your time or are you frivolously tossing it away? 
Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most. My translation puts it, but literally it says redeeming, buying back the time, getting it is, and, and making it, squeezing every ounce of it to get the most out of it. And so you're not going to waste your time. You're going to say no to those temptations to just sit there and do nothing. Now, of course, there are times for recreation. Yes, that's right. There are times for relaxation. There's times for rest. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples uh, when they were so busy. He said, come ye apart and rest a while. In fact, there was a retreat, a Christian retreat center I went to in South Africa where we had a, a church conference when I was there some years ago. And the name of the retreat was Kayara. Come ye apart and rest a while. Kayara. Well, <laughs> It's a good thing, but don't we often turn this desire for rest into a lust for laziness? Your time, exercise self-control, substance abuse. Ephesians 5 continued, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? Do not be drunk with wine. For that is dissipation. What's dissipation? Wasted living. But be filled with the Spirit. Self-control. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord, and, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. To God, even the Father. So self-control in all of these areas. We need it. I need it. You need it. How do we get it? Well, we went through that. We pray. We read the word. And we just say no. When the temptation comes our way. And I want to say one last thing before we close tonight with regard to self-control. Let's look at Acts chapter 24. Here's another example of lack of self-control. Paul before Felix Acts 24 and verse 25. Verse 24, but some days later, 24, 24, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment of to come. Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. Felix didn't want to hear about self-control. Why? Well, if you read a little background about this man, he totally lacked self-control. That was not his trademark. He didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to hear about judgment. Dear friend, don't be like Felix. It was foolish because judgment was coming. You need self-control. Where do you get it? <laughs> you can only get it in this one shop, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You come and buy without money. What money do you need? You can't buy it, but you can get it. Turn from sin and turn to Christ in faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ 
Paul told that Philippian jailer who most likely was not well known for self-control. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You need it. Come to Christ for forgiveness, for pardon, acceptance. All in him we find. Let's pray. O oh Lord, our God, we confess that we are not perfect in this matter of self-control, but we do thank you for what your Spirit has done and is continuing to do in your people here at Trinity Baptist Church. We thank you that though we were once in the world, and we still live in the world, we are not of the world anymore by your grace, by your power. And we ask that those who are in our midst, who are still outside of Christ, that tonight would be the night that they would have done with the world, turn their back on their sin, and come to the Savior. And we ask for your people here at Trinity Baptist Church that you would continue to work in us and mold us and shape us by the means of the word and prayer and even fellowship as we sharpen one another, as we exhort one another while it's still called today, by the means of considering our Savior in his perfect control, that we would put on the Lord Jesus Christ and be more and more like him. Work in us that we would manifest this grace to an even greater degree in our words, in our appetites, in our dealing with temptations around us. Help us, Lord, and may you be glorified as we walk worthy of the calling with which you have called us. We ask all these mercies through Jesus, our Savior. Amen.